you are now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. On today's program, we're going to take an overview of what's happening across the world right now. And what's happening across the world, of course, is a time of incredible chaos that has spread to the United States, the European Union, Russia, the Ukraine, and of course, Hamas, Israel, the Middle Eastern nations. Uh, etc., etc. Now, what what is so dangerous about this particular time in history is that in the background of all of this, we already had the tensions of a potential nuclear war, a potential World War III between uh, the Ukraine and Russia and the EU and potentially the United States of America. Now, that, of course, was uh, horrific as it is. Then we see the news reports and the follow-up reports of uh, a very intense invasion by Hamas uh, into Israel. And you see uh, something that I don't think most people have ever seen before, which is uh, terrorists flying in in these small, multicolored uh, glider-type parachutes. There's a name for it, and I can't for, remember it at the moment what it is. But you see this eerie, uh, these little dots up on the television screen. They look like little tiny dots. And then as they get closer, you realize that they're not dots. What they really are is um, terrace. And they're gliding in on these gliders, these portable gliders that are somewhat like parachutes. And again, they're brightly colored. In fact, uh, in the latest Mission Impossible movie, you see uh, Tom Cruise playing a character, and he glides in uh, to try to land on a moving train. And um, he's, he's gliding in on one of these multicolored glider parachute things. And then he makes a pinpoint landing. Now, you see that, though, in real life, and it becomes terrifying because the people who are landing in these glider parachute devices, and oftentimes they have a bicycle or uh, a small uh, gasoline-powered device which can allow them to travel at great speeds uh, with very little effort. So they're floating down out of the sky. Then when they hit the dirt, these um, little motorcycles that they're riding uh, are causing them to be able to travel at like, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour uh, across the the surface of the land. And then they begin the, the, the bloody invasion of Israel. And you see both Uh, the Palestinians being killed, you see Jews being killed, you see buildings being demolished, and then you uh, hear continual news reports of um, hostages being taken, not only Jewish hostages, but American hostages and uh, people from other nations. And some of these hostages have not yet been found alive. Some of these hostages have been recovered. But the whole scenario is very demonic and very evil. Now, what this has done is that this has ignited a catalyst across the world. So, for example, 
since the Hamas invasion in Israel, um, anti-Semitism in the United States has moved up an additional 400%. So anti-Semitism, or essentially the hatred of the Jews, the hatred of Jewish Israel, it moved from its previous statistic, which was, you know, rather relatively minor, and now it has skyrocketed up into the area of a 400% increase in anti-Semitism in the United States of America, with demonstrations breaking out. We had a demonstration in Orange County recently. I don't know what side. I mean, there were protesters, American uh, protesters, who were in support of Hamas. There were American protesters who were in support of Israel. And I don't know who caused what, because I guess that's still going to go to the courts. But uh, a guy uh, got a guy who was supporting Israel got into a physical fight with a guy, both Americans, who was a supporter of Hamas. And the guy who was a supporter of Israel was knocked to the ground violently. And as, as far as I know it, the guy was rushed to the hospital where he died. And that's just one incident. And at the present moment, the incidents are accelerating. You have demonstrations happening all over Europe and France and other nations. You have uh, people making speeches uh, on behalf of the on behalf of Hamas. You have people making speeches uh, against Hamas. I was watching one woman, young woman from uh, Iran, who was part of a contingent of demonstrators who were against uh, Hamas. Uh, they were in support of Israel. And what this girl said, who was uh, part of this contingent of supporters for Israel, even though she herself was Iranian, she listed a whole list of um, atrocities that were being committed against people in many of these nations like Iran, <clears throat> what's happening in Hamas and other places. And then, of course, you had this massive crowd uh, that was gathered, and the crowd was either protesting Israel or protesting uh, Hamas. So this is a very an inflammable situation. Now, unfortunately, uh, it's my opinion that some of this uh, is being amplified and and magnified to create uh, a higher level of chaos for ulterior motives. So the fact of the matter is, there are very dark forces in our world today, uh, some that are on uh, seemingly to be on both sides of the fence or opposite sides of the fence. And they are behind the scenes spending money, uh, purchasing media power in an effort to stir up um, a major conflict, a major conflict in the Middle East, of which this recent and this current um, conflict between Hamas and Israel is just 
one part of the chess of the global chess game they're playing. Because what they really want is an all-out global war. What they really want is not only World War III, but they want what some people are calling uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich, which has uh, a number of implications. And I want to get into some of the implications regarding that statement, the rise of the Fourth Reich, and its relationship to uh, the, the, the emerging global government, its relationship to America, its relationship to the coming one world economic system, and why why it would be. I mean, what would be the motive to ignite a World War III scenario that has its epicenter uh, in Israel in conflict with some of the surrounding nations? So we're going to explore all of that on today's edition of the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. And we want to dig deep and expose the truth. I mean, really, this is what the only thing that's going to prevent World War III is the, the proclamation of truth. And that means not distorting the information, but telling, what, telling people all over the world what the truth is, or at least making an endeavor to discover the truth. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Okay, once again, Israel seems to be, not seems to be, Israel is once again the center of the cyclone, which is predicted in Bible prophecy. It's predicted uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, when the Jews were dispersed from the physical land of Israel, historically, there were a number of times where the Jews were driven out of the physical land of Israel, and they were made slaves in other nations. They went into captivity. Uh, They were massacred and other horrible things. During these times, the predominant reason that the Jews were driven from the physical land of Israel, which at one time was known as Canaan, was because um, the Jews had been given the special assignment by God to represent the reality and the truthfulness of the biblical God in front of the entire world, to demonstrate before the entire world that the biblical God was the only true God. And the primary way that that was done was that God gave his law to the nation of Israel. He commanded the nation of Israel, he commanded the Jews to follow his law. And so what God intended was that the Jews and the children of Israel, that they would go out in the world, in the global culture, in the Middle East, and they would demonstrate practically the reality of the biblical God's existence by the way they they either prospered or declined, by the way they were either victorious or defeated or went into slavery. They were like a, a living illustration of the biblical God. So when you go back to um, 
you see when you go back into the Old Testament, you see this begins early on in the Old Testament. You see that Joshua and Caleb um, were given an assignment by God to go into the land, the physical land of Canaan, which was really the physical land of Israel, except the reason it was called Canaan was because Canaan had become, it had fallen under the the rulership of all the pagan, idolatrous nations that rejected the biblical God, worshipped false gods, mocked and uh, disobeyed the, the laws of God because they they participated in pagan, demonic religions. And so God tells Joshua and Caleb to check out the land because the land, that land, this is very important to understand because this is not a matter of opinion. This is a matter of the Bible and whether or not the Bible is accurate. So God commands Joshua and Caleb to go into the land of Canaan to spy out uh, the, the Nephilim, Rephaim giants that are in the land of Canaan and give, come back and give God a report of whether or not they can be defeated because it was the promise of God to give to Abraham and his physical descendants uh, the physical land of Israel. But at this point in history, it was called Canaan because it was under the rule of the idolatrous pagan tribes, tribes like the Hittites, the Girgashites, um, and many other of these strange tribes. So Joshua and Caleb go into Canaan, and they see that there are giants in the land. Now, the first group of spies that go in, they're terrified and freaked out. And so they come back, and they give to God what's called an evil report, based on what you could call an evil perception. And the the reason their perception and their report was evil before God is because the spies uh, saw themselves as little itsy-bitsy grasshoppers, and they saw the inhabitants of Canaan as giants. And therefore, they were gripped with fear, and they told the Lord, there are giants in the land, the giants see us as grasshoppers, there's just no way we can go into Canaan and conquer it. Because through human eyes, and this is the whole point, because through human eyes, the task appeared to be impossible. Then God sends in a second group of spies. This time he sends in Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb check out the land of Canaan. And they see the spies but their perception of themselves and the perception of the spies is in alignment with the promises and the perspective of God, the biblical God. So when they see the so-called giants in the land of Canaan, they don't see giants. Their perception only sees that that these so-called giants are nothing more than, than little gra- helpless grasshoppers. So, because their perception is in divine alignment with the biblical God, when they see the inhabitants of Canaan, they're not freaked out. They're not afraid because they see the so-called giants of Canaan as grasshoppers. 
as helpless grasshoppers that will be easily defeated. And in addition to that, because they allowed God to supernaturally transform their consciousness, and they saw themselves, what happened was, they saw the, they saw the grasshoppers, they, excuse me, they saw the giants in Canaan as grasshoppers. Conversely, they viewed themselves, in terms of their perception, they viewed themselves as giants, and they viewed the giants as grasshoppers. Now, this supernatural transformation of their perception also impacted the so-called giants in the land of Canaan, because now the giants in the land of Canaan, they saw themselves as weak grasshoppers, and now they saw Joshua and Caleb and, and their armies, they saw Joshua and Caleb as uh, giants, and they saw themselves as grasshoppers. So there was a complete flipping of perceptions here. So what happens is Joshua and Caleb come back to God after spying out the land. They tell God what he already knows, which is the land is, is you know, bursting with milk and honey. It's a good land. It's a promised land. It is a promised land. Canaan is the promised land. It's the promised land that has been temporary, temporarily stolen by Satan and his proxy demonic armies. But then they say to God, they give God what's called a good report, or a report based on faith in God's word. And they say to God, we saw, you know, the, the armies in Canaan, and we saw the so-called giants. They're nothing more than grasshoppers, they said to God. And then they said, and we saw ourselves as giants. We saw them as grasshoppers. And as such, we are well able to conquer or take the land. And so they invaded the land of Canaan, filled with um, idolatrous pagan tribes. And they mopped up Canaan and conquered uh, a large part of Canaan, which later became the physical nation of Israel. And so this is one of the most powerful historical accounts in the Bible. Now, here we are thousands of years later, and we see this, this, this historical battle continues because we have Relative, the nation of Israel is a large nation, but the land that the, that the Jews are possessing is really just a fraction of the physical land that God promised them. And so we have a relatively small physical landmass called the physical nation of Israel, surrounded by a relatively large landmass of um, pagan Middle Eastern nations, Islamic nations that have surrounded the nation of Israel, and that they have vowed repeatedly through the various nations, through their armies, through Islam, they have vowed over and over again to destroy Israel and to wipe Israel off the face of the, of, of the map. So the, the Hamas and other militant Islamic groups, you know, they chant things in Europe and other places. And they chant things like um, how they're going to push or drive Israel, all of Israel, and uh, 
drive Israel from the ocean to the sea, from from the land of Israel. They're going to drive them right into the sea and the ocean and drown them, kill them. So their intention is to wipe Israel out completely. Their intention is to literally obliterate the physical land of Israel from the map so that it no longer exists. And their goal is to rename and reclaim Israel, Palestine, which was its name uh, for part of history. Israel was called Palestine. Now, when we go back to the time of Christ, uh, the Jews are, they don't really own the land of Israel that they, that they live in, even though God promised to give the physical land of Israel to the physical descendants of Abraham. But they still don't really own that land. The land of Israel at the time of Christ and before the time of Christ was occupied by the Roman Empire and Roman generals and the Caesar of Rome himself. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious, the other Jewish subgroups, they kind of managed the nation of Israel in conjunction with the, with the Roman army. Now, many things happened. The, the key thing is, is that at a certain point after Christ's death, after Christ ascended into heaven, the, the physical nation of Israel and Jerusalem specifically, along with the rebuilt Jewish temple, and remember, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, right before Jesus was ready to ascend into heaven, he was teaching his disciples, and he warned his disciples that the massive temple that was, he, he was speaking to his disciples, but this behind his disciples was a massive temple called Herod's Temple, which was the rebuilt temple of the Jews in Jerusalem. But King Herod helped finance and help and helped to complete the rebuilding of, of the Jewish temple. And something that we have to understand even today regarding the Jews and the Jewish temple is this. Many religions have many temples, many houses of worship, whether we're talking about Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or whatever. They have multiple synagogues, temples, um, places of worship. The Jews, in contrast, they have only one, and according to their Jewish theology, they have only one legitimate temple uh, that they can worship in on planet Earth. And that is the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. They may have synagogues and places of teaching and places of meeting and things like that, but they have only one temple, and that's the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. But that rebuilt temple was destroyed shortly after Christ ascended into heaven, and Christ prophesied to his disciples that not one brick or stone would be left in place um, concerning the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And what Christ was alluding to in his prophecy to the disciples was that 
the Roman army, with all its mighty force, was going to come in and invade Herod's temple, invade the the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and they were going to tear apart the temple brick by brick with such viciousness, they were going to burn the temple with an enormous heat, enormous fires, they were going to slaughter hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Jews, and the blood of of the Jews slaughtered in Jerusalem would be running through the streets of Jerusalem. The slaughter would be so massive that the blood of the Jews would be running uh, down the streets of Jerusalem. In addition, because the temple was going to burn with such ferocious heat, all the gold uh, instruments of worship that were contained in the temple, all of that gold would melt under the incredible heat of the fires that were burning the temple. And so the prophecy continues that that running down the, the, the bricks and the, and the stones to the temple, there would be like little little rivers of molten gold running down the streets from the temple because the heat had become so hot that the solid gold uh, instruments of worship would be liquefied and run down the streets of Jerusalem. Then the Roman armies began to capture and slaughter the Jews, the Jewish males, the Jewish females, and it was a horrific slaughter, a horrific bloodbath. Um, it, there was the Jews were massacred. The temple was completely destroyed. It no longer existed. And then the Romans rounded up the rest of the Jews that were still alive in Jerusalem and other places in Israel, and they sold the Jews into slavery and sent them into all four corners of the world. So the Jews were dispersed into nations all across the world, and the Jews were sold into slavery into all four corners of the earth. And they no longer had control of Jerusalem. The vast majority of them were forced to leave Jerusalem and the physical land of Israel. And they ended up in Europe and, and many other places where they, where they served as slaves to many nations. It was a, it was a horrific tragedy. So this driving of the Jews out of Jerusalem and Israel and selling them into to slavery to, to, into all the four corners of the earth was, a, was referred to as the great dispersion of the Jews from the land of Israel. And this dispersion of the Jews from the land of Israel lasted for approximately 2,000 years. So for 2,000 years, the Jews were dispersed into all four corners of the earth. Then, I'm, I'm moving up the time frame here, then, of course, the Jews prospered mightily in many of the lands that they were sent into, and there was great resentment from the Gentile peoples of these nations who began to develop intense feelings of anti-Semitism and a hatred for the Jews. 
Adolf Hitler arrives on the scene, and Adolf Hitler is the product of Satanists, occult powers, and demonic powers. All the symbols that that are part of Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich, from the swastika to the SS troop lightning bolts, all of these are hardcore occultic and satanic symbols. So it shouldn't surprise us that when an, uh, when a highly occultic and satanic satanic power political structure rises in power like Adolf Hitler, it shouldn't surprise us that because they're antichrist in nature, they want to attack everything that has to do with Christ and they want to attack everything that has to do with the Jews because the Jews historically have been God's chosen people to fulfill a special assignment. So because of Hitler's intense and the Nazis' intense hatred for the Jews, he began to round them up and send them into giant concentration camps where they were burned alive or gassed alive by by millions and millions of Jews died in the concentration camps all over Germany and Europe and approximately 30 to 35 million Jews and Protestants, and anybody that the the German Nazis considered to be an inferior race were put to death in the concentration camps, and the death toll was somewhere between 30 to 35 million. Finally, the reign of terror, driven by Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, began to come, and did come to an end, when nations like Great Britain, America, France, and other nations united and pushed back hard and invaded Germany. They invaded Germany by first landing on the beaches of Normandy and France, and then they invaded Germany, and they they bombed literally the hell out of the Nazi war machine, and they defeated Hitler, and they defeated the the Nazi war machine, and the Jews were, what was left of the Jews, they were freed. Now, what happened is, the Jews were massacred, their money was confiscated from them, their, their social structures were destroyed, and so massive numbers of Jews via boat, uh, in what was referred to as a second exodus, uh, got aboard these giant boats and sailed to the Middle East and sailed to Israel, where they began to transplant themselves and start over new lives in Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, they started farms, they started communities. And it should be noted, and it should be noted very accurately, that. This this mythology that the Jews came back into uh, Jerusalem and Israel and stole the land from the Palestinians is essentially a mythology, because at that time in history, the Palestinians had no pervasive interest in occupying the land of Israel, nor were they interested in occupying uh, Jerusalem. So, so the whole historical mythology of the, of the Jews being the bullies and stealing the land from the innocent Palestinians is largely mythological. Why? Because, again, at the time that the Jews were 
coming back into Israel and Jerusalem, which was roughly 1947-1948, the people called the Palestinians, the Islamic nations, the, the Egyptians, the other Middle Eastern nations, the fact of the matter is they had little or no interest at all in uh, occupying either Jerusalem or Israel. Because at that time, Jerusalem and Israel was largely barren. It was largely a waste field. It was, in terms of agricultural productivity, it was not a productive land. And so at the time that the Jews returned, the land of Palestine or or Jerusalem was not desired by the Palestinians or the Islamic nations or the Middle Eastern nations. They had no real interest in the land. So you say, well, then what what caused all the all the chaos? What caused all the, uh, you know, um, animosity? Well, as I've shared with you before, I had the privilege of becoming very close friends with one of Israel's most famous generals historically uh, and got to know him quite well, got to ask many questions about what really happened because my friend General Shimon Aram of of Israel, he was at he he died several years ago and went to heaven several several years ago. But up until that time, he lived a vibrant life, and he told me many inside and, and, and secret stories of what really went on. And he was there when the boats were coming from Europe and the boats were coming from Germany to resettle the Jews back in Jerusalem. He was there. He was there during the 1963 uh, war. He was there during the 1967 Six-Day War. He was there. Uh, during the conflict in the 1980s. He was there at every conflict up until recently, before he passed away. And he told me the inside story. And the inside story is simply this. The land of Jerusalem, the land of Israel, was something that the, the Arabs and the Islamic states and the Palestinians really had no interest in because it was barren. They didn't even want the land because they didn't consider the land to be fertile for growing crops, etc. The only reason that there was a massive change in heart among the Palestinians, the Islamic nations, the Egyptians, the Middle Eastern nations, the only reason they had this dramatic change of heart, and then all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, they decide that they have to regain and they have to recapture Jerusalem from the Jews. What caused them to change their mind was they had truthfully and historically, abandoned the land of Israel, abandoned Jerusalem. They had no interest in it because they thought it was basically useless. But when they saw the Jews resettle the land of Israel and Jerusalem, they observed with their eyes that the Jews, all of a sudden, as it is predicted in Bible prophecy, the Jews um, are, are planting vast acres of all kinds of lucrative crops, uh, lucrative produce, fruits, vegetables, flowers, and many other things. And so the Jews are taking literally a desert 
an abandoned desert that the Palestinians and the Islamic nations no longer wanted, and the Jews have recaptured it, and they're turning a barren wilderness into a blossoming, fertile agricultural paradise that is producing enormous, enormous crops. And, and their, their mouths are watering, their eyes are, are, are bugged wide open as they see the prosperity of the crops that, from, from, from the seeds that the Jews had planted. And the, the Jews had become so productive with their crops and their agriculture that they basically became the primary supplier of all of Europe in terms of growing fruits and vegetables to feed all of Europe and other nations. And then the, the Jews had such massive harvests of bountiful flowers of all kinds and other crops, also highly desirable um, for the nations of, of Europe. And so the, the prophecy is fill, fulfilled. The Jews are turning the barren wilderness into a place of incredible productivity. It's a miracle. And and in an actuality, it's, an, it's, a, it's a prophecy of God, and it's a miraculous sign of God's blessing on the Jews. So after, and only after, the Palestinians, the Islamic nations, and the Middle Eastern nations, it's only after they see the enormous productivity of the Jews regarding the agricultural produce of the land, that all of a sudden they have a change of heart. Now all of a sudden they have a very red-hot interest in Jerusalem, and in the land of Israel. But up until the time when they saw the, the bountiful Jewish crops, they had no interest. So this whole mythology about how the Jews came in and stole the land of Palestine from the Palestinians is a mythology. That's not what happened. The Palestinians didn't even call themselves Palestinians. They had given up on that territory. They thought it was essentially useless. So we have to understand that. This, this mythology that the Jews stole the land from the Palestinians and the Islamic nations is a lie. It's not true. And so you have to understand that. Now, the other thing that we have to understand is that the Bible is very clear. When you look at the genealogy of the physical descendants of Abraham, the Bible is very clear. When you see the historical accounts of, of what was to be given to uh, certain descendants and what was to be given to other descendants, um, it's clear that the physical descendants of Israel are given the physical, the physical descendants of Israel, which also means the physical descendants of Abraham are given in a, a everlasting covenant the physical land of Israel. And that, that is irregardless of whether or not the Jews deserve it. Because one could make a very cogent argument that the Jews don't deserve it. They're not particularly holy or spiritual or righteous. But by the way, neither is the United States of America. So when we're looking at Hamas and Israel and that entire thing, we have to keep the history of this whole conflict uh, first and foremost in our minds. There is no doubt that the Jews have committed um, evils, wrongdoing 
in in some of the ways that they treated their Islamic and Middle Eastern uh, neighbors. Some people may not want to hear that, but but in some cases it's true. But the fact of the matter is, the the whole basis of the Abrahamic covenant is that God gives the physical descendants of Israel, the physical land of Israel, as an everlasting covenant. It it is based entirely on God's sovereign will, and it has nothing to do with whether or not the Jews deserve it or whether the Jews earned it or anything like that. So, as the Bible says, and as the Bible warns in the last days, the Bible warns that in the last days, Israel and Jerusalem is going to be a cup of trembling to all the nations of the earth. It plays a central role in in all the geopolitical and economic activities of planet Earth. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. We have resources for you at big discounts right now that will help you understand the history of this conflict, where it's leading in terms of globalism, uh, the potential of World War III, the War of Gog and Magog, and many other things. (laughs) 